last five years at Spark, we've probably, maybe, possibly ruined Christmas for you. So I'm not going to do that today. Does that sound all right? And I, I mean, what I mean by that is that um, it probably didn't happen in December. So, you know, probably fall. December, you've already planted your food. You don't want sheep in your field around that time because you don't want them to eat the food that you're growing. So, so it'd have to be between harvesting and then before planting, right when you really want sheep in your field because they're going to leave the things that make things grow, right? So, so that's when shepherds would be in the field. So probably more fall, you know, you know, that kind of makes more sense. Maybe around the Feast of Tabernacles, dwelling. And then we have the gospel writer, John, saying something beautiful like, you know, the word became flesh and tabernacle dwelt among us. Um, <clears throat> there, we don't know how many wise men there were. We kind of pick three because there's three gifts mentioned, but we really don't know, magi, what exactly were they? Were they sort of astronomers? So, I mean, I could continue to ruin it for you. Would you like some more? Um, It didn't smell pretty. There was no holly jolly. Um, There probably wasn't snow on the ground. Um, There wasn't an innkeeper. Anyone still think there's an innkeeper? Did you go to a play? Have you seen any tweets today about that silly innkeeper? Like how there's no innkeeper mentioned in the text. Um, there's no donkey mentioned in the text. So I know tough. Uh, so, uh, I think I heard that, um, nagging is in the Bible because it said that Mary rode Joseph's donkey all the way to Bethlehem and they used the King James for the word donkey. Um, but that's not a verse in the Bible. That's not a thing. And, uh, and yeah, so we make all that stuff up, right? We like to think about a story where they're knocking. Even if you've seen the animated movie, the star out, it's really beautiful and wonderful. And the music's great. And Phoebe loves it. Although she's deeply concerned about Joseph's spiritual state because he's very cruel to Bo, the donkey, the star of, we had to have a lot of conversation about how Joseph's not really a jerk. Um, they kind of just put that in. It's not really in the Bible. They put that in to, for dramatic tension. Um, donkeys don't talk. Uh, there wasn't a sheep wandering about named Ruth by herself. So we have to kind of dis, dis, uh, yeah, there's some disinformation produced, but it's fun. It's a sweet movie. And so we watched it and they have Mary and Joseph just like go into every door trying to get into every inn. Well, Bethlehem was a very small town. There probably wasn't one inn. Uh, it's not mentioned in our text. What it does say is that there was no room for them in the Cataluna. And the Cataluna is a Greek word that means spare room. So it's more likely that Joseph's relatives can count to nine. Meaning that Mary has gotten pregnant out of wedlock and they're deeply concerned. Um, and, you know, do we really want them in our home and with our family? And, and that's a problem, <clears throat> you know. Uh, anytime somebody's living in sin, right? They're, how are we going to explain that to our children? So there's no room for them in the spare room. There is room for them in the place where the animals are, which would probably still be more a little bit cave-like and manure. How many picture a little wooden crush with hay inside where they placed the baby Jesus, right? Yeah, that's not in the Bible. Um, they did lay him in a manger, but mangers are made out of stone, and you, you don't make a food dish for your animal in Bible times. They, they can eat off the ground. They're an animal. Um, that's what they do. But they do need a place for water. So living water is placed in the place that holds water, in the manger. And, and he is born in a town called 
Beit Lechem, house of bread, which can also mean house of war, depending upon how you translate it. But let's go with house of bread tonight. And so the bread of life is placed and born in bakery towns. So there's these really beautiful images that can come from knowing our story and our historical context. And, and if you want to know any of that, you can go to probably any of the other four years of Spark when we have... Um, ruined Christmas for you and all of your wonderful images. My intention actually is not to ruin Christmas. It's to suggest that the cultural context is deeply important and it matters significantly how we read and understand this story. And if we read and understand this story in light of North America or Northern Europe, where when this time of year comes, it's snowy and it smells of pine and cinnamon and all those wonderful things, those are beautiful things. And I love remembering the birth of Jesus this time of year specifically because it's dark in North America. Now, if you go to other places in the world, this is not the case, right? There's palm trees out for Christmas time, and, and you can go to a beach. But here in North America, when we associate Christmas and the, the story of, of Jesus' birth, we associate with a dark time of year, when the nights are long and the days are short and it's cold and things seem difficult. And if we're honest, many of us have spent time in our lives where we have felt stuck, not only in a season of darkness like winter can be, but we've maybe felt stuck in a time period of our lives that's been dark, a long, dark winter. Uh, Mother Teresa, as she talked about the long, dark night of the soul, I mean, she, she talked about experiencing that sort of darkness and, and um, loneliness and, and isolation for over 20 years. So sometimes we live in those seasons and sometimes we turn on the news And we feel like we're still stuck. And I don't know about you, but when I open up just the news today, we'll just do today, and I see that children are dying in Venezuela of hunger and dehydration, and I hear that um, agents of our government, of a land that I hold dear, that I'm deeply proud and thankful to live here in the United States of America, that they held... Um, immigrants chained for, for 46 hours without food or water in an airplane on Tramac in Florida. I, I, I don't have words for that rage that comes with that. So, so I'm angry at oppression and I'm angry at people that hurt one another and I get frustrated at the hypocrisy that's seen in the church and I get angry at... Uh, racial injustice and, and frustrating. It feels like there's not a place to go where we can start to see things being set to right. Anyone? <clears throat> just today. I'm just talking about today. Not the last year, not the last five years, not the last eight, nine years, not the last 30 years, just today. That there can feel um, days when the darkness is thick. And I was just talking to a, a deeply wonderful, faithful Christian friend of mine. I mean, she is amazing, and, and I love listening to her, and I learn from her, and, and she teaches me, and, and we were talking today, and she said, I'm having trouble just feeling any hope right now. I just can't do Christianity in North America anymore. She's looking for a way out. And 
probably almost all of us, maybe not, but maybe some of us, maybe at least 50% of us in this room have this year thought or last year or the last nine years or the last 10 years at some point thought, where else could I go? Another city, another state, another town, another country, another continent, another hemisphere, right? Some of you have looked into Mars so you have, we have looked into these places where when we find this desperation seeking in, when we find powers and principalities in our life and all that darkness coming in, we just don't quite know what to do. So I'm going to share with you a little bit of what I shared with my friend today. We opened up Luke. Luke chapter 1. This is our story right now here. And this is what I'm holding on to in this Advent season and in this season of my own personal life and um, my concerns and issues with justice and oppression and and all of that. We're going to read Mary's song. This is what Mary says in the midst of finding out that she is going to be the one to give birth to the Son of God, which is just mind-blowing, and you could do years and years of just that kind of conversation. I love how Mary says, how will this be, right? The angel shows up and says, hey, don't be afraid, Mary, which is definitely a good lead-in. Don't be scared. You found favor with God. You're going to be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, God's salvation. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary's question, legitimate. You guys, this is a legitimate question. How will this be? Because I am a virgin. I mean, I think that's just a good practical question, right, at that point. Now, Zachariah earlier... Uh, the husband of Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, has also asked the same angel a question, and he gets shut up for nine months. Zachariah has uh, more responsibility, so he says, how can I be sure of it, right? Zachariah's like, how can I know for sure that this thing that you've told me is going to happen? I'm an old man, my wife's well along in years, and Gabriel gets ticked. And he's like, I'm Gabriel. I sit at the seat at the hand of God. Like, I, he gets really upset. And so Zachariah has to be quiet. But Mary's allowed to ask this practical question of, so details. Uh, how's this whole pregnant thing happening? All right. And she gets told hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, Elisheva, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be barren is now in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Miriam said, Mary said. May it be to me as you have said, and then the angel left her. So at that time, Mary's like, I'm going to talk to Elizabeth, right? Because this is crazy. She's really old. She's having a baby, and this is nuts. And they go, and the baby John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Zachariah's still not talking. We don't know that the baby's going to be named John. Um, and by the way, why do you, one other reason possibly why maybe Zachariah has to be quiet, when's one of the last times an angel showed up and told a really old guy that he and his old, old wife were going to get pregnant with the son? And what happened? Did he just go straight home to Sarah? No, let's have a conversation. Maybe Hagar should be involved, right? So I think Gabriel this time is like, you know what? Just don't talk. (laughs) Just go home. Be with your wife, and we'll see you in nine months. All right. 
So I like that part too. I think it's kind of funny. All right. So Mary gets ready. She goes. And then as John leaps in Elisheva's womb, in Elizabeth's womb, blessed as she is, believe what the Lord has said her will be accomplished. Mary sing. We call it Mary's song. But this is what Mary says. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And Mary stays with Elizabeth for about three months and then returns home. Now, what's amazing to me is not that Mary can say this song, but that she can say it in the circumstances in which she is living. Rome is the empire in charge, and it's a brutal, brutal role. The empire is difficult. They crucify children. They crucify children. They crucify Jews along the walls of the thing. They've done terrible and horrible things to the Jewish people. And in the middle of this moment with Rome, with a King Herod, who is going to threaten immediately the life of Jesus and kill the baby boys in Bethlehem, in the middle of this dark moment with that type of cruel rule, in the middle of this dark moment with all of that oppression, with the fact that you could be a God-fearing Jew just walking down the road and all of a sudden a Roman soldier can come up to you and say, hey, pick up my pack and carry it for me for a mile. And you have to do it. It's not the right way. You're in a rush to go home. It's not the direction you want to go in. You are forced to do it. It has not been long that Jewish rule has been completely obliterated. There was a civil war just before, right around 63 BCE. So for about 60 years, the Jewish people, prior to the birth of Jesus, have been dealing with Rome, Pompey, who liked to fight pirates, came in and took over. Caesar, who's declaring himself to be God, is there. Herod is now calling himself the king of the Jews, even though he's a half-Jew, and even though he likes to kill his sons and his wives and all this other chaos. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of being taxed upwards of 90% in Galilee um, by both the Roman government and also by the systems, the religious systems that they were part of of that day, in the midst of all that, Mary has this amazing incredible song that she says. And, you know, it's easy to make it sound pretty, and it's easy to make it sound like she's just um, singing a nice worship song to God, but when you start to read where this song is coming from, then it holds another context entirely. And that's a little bit, the tiniest little bit of what you have on this piece of paper. So let's take a look. Mary starts with, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, the moment she starts to echo this, she starts to grab hold of Hannah's song. I don't know if you remember Hannah. Hannah was barren. She couldn't have a son. She went and she prayed in front of Eli the priest. He thought she was drunk. She's not drunk. She's just begging God. And she ends up ultimately giving birth to Samuel. And you can read this whole story in 1 Samuel. And as Hannah is doing this, she also sings a song quite similar. So what we already know is that Mary knows text. Mary has studied. 
Mary has listened to her story, to the story of her people, and she starts to honor and tell this very similar story that we can find in 1 Samuel. She also starts, you could see the right at the very top of Luke 1, right on the very top of the page. Hannah said, my soul, my heart rejoices in the Lord, and in the Lord my horn is lifted high. 1 Samuel chapter 2, and you can read the whole section. She starts to invoke Psalm 72, which ends up being a psalm that is used oftentimes to even anticipate and explain what is happening in the birth of Jesus. It might be where we get that sort of mishmash of ideas of why the Magi are also now kings. Because in Psalm 72, kings come to worship the king of Israel with gold. And there we have the beginning of Psalm 72. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. The nations will be blessed through him. They will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who has done marvelous deeds. Praise be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. As Mary grabs hold of this, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, the God of Israel. She pulls all of this language in. She starts to hearken back as this young woman being told this crazy thing by an angel as she's sitting in Nazareth, trying to figure out how she's going to explain this to the person to whom she's engaged but not yet married. And all of this chaos, she's able to say, oh, God is doing a thing now very similar to the echoes of what God has been doing over the history of all of Israel. God is going to put God's king on the throne. But this time it's going to be different, isn't it? And Mary starts to then hearken back and start to grab all this additional language. She's grabbing Psalm 32, 34. She's grabbing this beautiful stuff. Let's look at the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. When was it last that God performed mighty deeds with an outstretched arm? That language is popping off the page from Exodus and from Deuteronomy when God reached into history and said, Pharaoh, unjust king, oppressor of my people who've been enslaved for 400 years, no more. And with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, God reaches in and redeems and rescues his people. Deuteronomy 5.15 for just one of the many verses that Mary is echoing here. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Now, Mary says this, and you, you and I, we all recognize, right, that she will soon be a refugee in Egypt, fleeing the oppressive rule of Herod, who is threatening the life of her son. And Mary can say this, even though she's in a world that's dark, that's full of threats, that harms the most marginalized, that hurts the poor. In all of this, then she starts to say things like, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And in the midst of all of that, right, she's grabbing again this beautiful, wonderful, amazing imagery. Second Samuel 22, you save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. And she grabs again. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. Can we say this today? 
When I read that article of what's happening in Venezuela, when I read the article of what's happening in Somalia to the people who are being forced to flee a refugee camp because they cannot hold their debt there anymore because the UN doesn't have enough money to give them food. So now they're selling and going into debt just to pay for food. And because they're now in seven and $800 of debt in a UN refugee camp where they're not permitted to work, They are now having to go to the UN and agree to be returned home to the place where their lives are being physically threatened, where they're most likely going to die. Because if they agree to return, the UN will pay them $150 a person, and then they can pay back their debt and at least live for one more week. That's now. Can I say Mary's words when that is happening today? Can I say these words today? He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. When I hear and read about slave trade happening again in Libya. Or simply the the prison system in Florida for the juveniles that are being detained there. Am I able to stand in these dark times and in these dark places? Or am I going to be so overwhelmed by the news and the darkness of the world and the injustice and the cruelty of man and humanity to humanity? Like, can I just, am I going to be so overwhelmed by that that I can't even stand with Mary to say these words that she says upon hearing that the Lord is coming? She can say this even though her circumstances, personal circumstances, Poor, a woman, 2,000 years ago, now pregnant, out of wedlock, with Herod's shadow over the land and Caesar's shadow over the land, and people able just to kill with impunity, without any concern. And she says this, in these dark times, can I not stand with Mary? Can I not actually say the same things and believe the same things that there will be light, that light has come down, that Jesus, the light of the world, has come into the world, and that the darkness will not overcome it? Can I say these words? Can I stand in faith believing them? Can I believe that the Lord is true and right when it says he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things? That God is remembering us. That God is remembering and hearing every cry and every oppression and every deep pain and every hurt. That Jesus, God's self, wrapped up in flesh and everywhere now, right? As a result of the resurrection. That Jesus was sitting on that tarmac in that airplane for 46 hours shackled too. And that God in flesh stands with those who are marginalized, stands with those who are oppressed, and with the oppressors, because they too are imprisoned and in chains. Because no person made in the image of God should treat another person made in the image of God this way. And Mary stands with scripture, her, her scripture-soaked bones that she has read and studied in the midst of oppression, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of darkness. She has heard these stories of a God who has faithfully rescued God's people and has anticipated the moment when God will do it again. 
You know that wonderful song, Mary, Did You Know? It's a beautiful song. I really like it. And I also want to say, yeah, Mary knew. Right? We don't have to Mary explain to her. She knows. She said this. She knows exactly what is happening because Jesus is coming. She knows that finally things are going to be set right. And now all of us here 2,000 years later are going to be like, when? When, Lord? And I think we stand with Mary when she says he has done this and is doing it and will do it again. So if you are feeling like it is dark and it is overwhelming and disappointing and when leaders that we are, we have spent our lives respecting and esteeming and systems that we put faith into. I, you too has a great new album out. Uh, American Soul is my daughter's favorite song right now. And she plays it on repeat. And um, one of the things, it, a repeat, like 50, 50 times in a row. Um, and one of the things that Bono's doing in that song is he's saying, hey, America, you're rock and roll. You can do these things. Like, remember who you are. You, you care for the poor and the marginalized and, and all these things. You can do these things again, right? And, and I love the song, and it's great. And I also kind of want to tell Bono that that's not what America's going to do. It's not who we are. I, hey, I love our nation, but it's not Jesus. And I can't expect my country to do the thing that Mary says God is going to do. It's a nation. Kings rise, kings fall, nations come, nations go. Ask the Roman Empire. Ask Greece. Ask Alexander the Great. When Mary says he's brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble, I want to remind us that our faith does not come in systems of government. It doesn't come from systems of laws. It doesn't come from all of the things that that we are deeply impacted by, that we are affected by, that we should care about. But our faith, our hope for why we can believe, standing here today, that their light has come into the darkness. This comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. And our faith shouldn't be placed in anything else. And it's not where Mary finds her faith. She doesn't find her faith. Maybe someday King Herod's going to really become Jewish, right? Maybe it won't be better to be a pig in his household than one of his sons. That's what people said during the day. It was better to be a pig in one of Herod's households than one of his sons because he killed his sons, but he didn't kill a pig. He was pretending to be Jew. So, safer to be a pig. Maybe there's a day, and, and maybe, maybe that day will come, but that's not where Mary has her hope. Her hope is placed in what God has done and what God is doing and will do again. So today, when I stand here, when I can get discouraged, and I just highly recommend all of us for the Advent season, just take, listen, it's, it's, all, it's all a mess, okay? Just maybe take a bit of a fast from the chaos. Not because I'm trying to suggest in any way that you sit down and don't take your role and, and don't fight for those that are oppressed, but just at least find a way to keep the balance to remember who is God. Who is in charge here? Who do you follow? Who do you worship? Where is your hope? Because my hope is in the Lord. And that's the only place where I can place it. If I ever thought that it was in the goodness of humanity, right? Uh, watching people get locked into a tarmac on my, on my soil, 
It's gone. There is no goodness in humanity. How do you stand and watch that? How do you watch people suffer in that way? In Puerto Rico, still no power. How do we watch that and not get angry? I'm angry about it. And my hope is not in our systems. I will hold those accountable. My hope is going to have to be in the Lord. It's the only place left where I can put it. 1 Samuel 2.7, as Hannah sings a thousand years before Jesus, the Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. And he sits them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. God's interested in caring for the poor. And God is interested in inviting everyone poor, rich, all of us together, because all of us are poor as we stand before the Lord, all of us to that table, to seek ways, to find ways, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and Jesus says, to love your enemies too. So even those you perceive, you and I perceive as enemies, how are we loving everyone today? Because this is the hope that we have, that God will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy, and that God will cross the oppressor. I have hope that God will do that in this dark season. And that is the only place I can put my hope in the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to stand with my sister Mary and say, teach me. Teach me how to have hope when it's dark. Teach me how to have hope when it doesn't feel like there's any good news. Teach me how to have hope when Rome is in charge, when Caesar's on the throne claiming deity and when Herod is there threatening the life of babies. How do I have hope then, Mary? She believes that God is with us. Now, wrapped up in human flesh. With those suffering. And that God's heart cares deeply for all of this to be set to right. And that Jesus is the ultimate response and hope and answer for that plan. If people who claimed his name truly did love God, love their neighbor and their enemies, what a world this would be. It would be a bit more heaven here on earth, wouldn't it? If everyone who wanted to follow him loved their neighbor and their enemy like unto themselves. Before you go today, We're going to set these at the back. Small votive candles. And my hope is that if you are in a personal time of darkness, sickness, um, job loss, uh, family dysfunction, pain, if you are overwhelmed by human suffering for issues of justice in this world, my prayer is that you and I will go home this week, get into a very dark room where the darkness feels oppressive, and then light your candle with anticipation, with the same type of hope, reading these words of Mary, that light has now come into the world, that Jesus, God's self, wrapped up in human flesh, has come and is showing us how to live differently in this world, bringing more of heaven here on earth. Because let's Be honest, if it's possible to bring more of heaven, more of God's rule and reign here on earth as it is in heaven, it's also possible to do the converse, isn't it? 
to see more hell come here on earth too. But every time you and I start to feel like that's winning and creeping in, light your light. Stand with your sister Mary and anticipate the one that is to come, the light of the world. Amen.